This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Hey, good morning, everyone. Good to see all of you here today. Okay, let's go to God in prayer. Uh, Dear Father, as we come before you this morning, we pray that you may help us to understand your word. Your really deep and profound word to us. And to give us the understanding of how we must live in this uncertain world. And to look forward to your coming. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, so many years ago, there was a movie that was very famous, which I really enjoyed, called uh, Forrest Gump. Right? And uh, according to the great prophet Forrest Gump, he had many prophetic sayings. And one of the most famous ones was that life is like a box of chocolates. You'll never know what you're going to get. Now, what he was really saying was that life is very uncertain. Life is very unpredictable. And you don't really know what's going to happen tomorrow. And actually, you know, in many ways, it's not really like a box of chocolates, right, life? Because, you know, not every chocolate, you know, you, you know, every chocolate generally tastes quite nice. But life itself is not always very nice in the things that happen. But the unpredictability of life still holds true. I mean, who would have predicted that there would be a heat wave in Japan? Or who would have predicted that uh, uh, Mahathir, right, would join the opposition and become the Prime Minister of Malaysia, or that Donald Trump would be President of America, or would have Brexit, or that uh, you could buy durians for one ringgit? Right, so all these things are unpredictable and uncertain and unknowable. And the question that the book Ecclesiastes is looking at today is, how do you live in a world of such uncertainty? How do you live in a world of such unpredictability? Because I think chapter 11 comes about because over the last two weeks, in chapter 9 and chapter 10, we've seen that life is risky. Life is uncertain. So in chapter 9, verse 11, uh, the teacher had already observed under the sun, right, that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise, or wealth to the brilliant, or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. And last week, chapter 10, verse 1, uh, he looked at the problem of how a little foolishness outweighs wisdom and honor. So he looks at life under the sun, and he recognizes the reality that chance Time, foolishness affects a lot of things that happen in this world. So the question that he wants to address today in chapter 11 is, how do we live in such an unpredictable, risky world? So it begins in chapter 11, verse 1. Now, if you look in your Bibles, in the new NIV which was read to us by Pokim, you actually see that in the new NIV, it actually translates the original Bible text as ship your grain across the sea and after many days you may receive a return. But I actually prefer the original NIV translation because the original NIV translation requires you as the reader to do the hard work to interpret the metaphor or the figurative language that the original writer used. So in the original uh, translation in the old NIV, it says, Cast your bread upon the waters, for after many days you will 
find it. Now this can mean uh, one of three things. I mean, obviously he cannot literally mean that uh, to live in a risky, unpredictable world, you throw bread upon water and then after many days, you'll get it back. Now that doesn't make sense, right? Because any of you who've actually gone to like botanical gardens and thrown bread to the fish, know that bread on water doesn't last very long and after many days, all you get left is soggy bread, right? Now that, what does that mean? It doesn't mean anything. So I think that what the writer is saying in a very profound way is uh, one of three things, which I think we have to make a choice. So the first thing is, which the new NIV uses, is ship your grain across the sea, like engage in maritime trade, right? Send your goods across the ocean. Or, number two, it could mean more generally, uh, take risks and uh, do various things. Cast your bread upon the waters. Use your talents, your money, your energies in ways which uh, are productive, right? Uh, send it across the oceans. Right? Don't just hoard it. Or the last way, could mean you give money to the poor. Now, personally, I don't think the first option is the right one because not everybody can engage in maritime shipping or trading in order to live in a risky world. I mean, how many people have boats? How many people uh, go into business to ship things across the sea? The third option, which is to give money to the poor, again, I don't think makes sense because how does giving money to the poor even though it's a good thing and it's a godly thing to do, how does giving money to the poor result in returns after many days? Because if that's the case, every charity, every NGO will be making profits rather than asking for money, right? So I think what verse 1 is really saying, what the teacher is saying is, in the world that we live in, you need to take risks and do ventures. right? You need to, you need to actually... Take a risk and cast your portions on the oceans in various things in order to get a return. Now that makes sense because you know if you put your salary under your mattress or in your shoebox or in your piggy bank, you will never get a return. You need to take that money or you need to take your energies and your time to put them to work so that you get a return in this risky world. But the main point I think comes in verse 2 where it says, invest in seven ventures, yes, in eight, you do not know what disaster may come upon the land. Now, in the Bible, and you, 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 you know, again, it's an interpretive thing, you, you can come and talk to me about it later, the number seven is a significant number, right? I mean, seven days of creation in the book of Revelation 7 is very important. Seven is like a perfect number. So I don't think the number seven was sort of like chosen here randomly by the writer of Ecclesiastes. He says seven was chosen because it is a perfect number. And he's sort of saying, look, if seven is a perfect number, then not only do seven, but do eight ventures, right? Do, do eight portions, cast eight portions to the sea for you do not know what disaster comes upon the land. Now this is very similar to, you know, the saying that we have in our modern world, it says, don't put all your eggs in one basket, right? Don't put all your eggs in one basket because if you drop the basket, you may lose all your eggs. But it seems here that the teacher is going to another extreme, right? He's saying, look, don't just invest in two ventures, invest in more ventures because you never know what disaster will come in this land, what risk and chance and folly will destroy 
that particular venture. So I remember uh, when I was uh, working in Singapore, I used to work for a very successful company called HP, you know, Hewlett Packard. So in the, well, it seems like a long time ago, when I was working in the 90s, right, HP was very successful. Right, you know, I mean, even today it's fairly successful. You know, it makes printers, laptops, handheld devices, measuring devices. It made all sorts of things. And when I was working at HP, you could actually invest uh, your money with HP, right? And the company would actually do one for one, right? You know, you invest and then it will match it, and then you could do lots of things, right? And I remember a colleague of mine. He worked at HP for many, many years and invested all his money in HP. But today, HP is not doing so well, and the share price is not doing so well, and I'm. I'm not even sure if my friend still works there. Right? And I think that Ecclesiastes chapter 11 would say to my friend, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Right? Don't give portions to seven, yes to eight, because you don't know what disaster will come upon HP. Now, I remember many years ago as well, during the, the 80s and 90s, and even before that, one of the most prominent companies then was uh, IBM. Right, IBM, if you don't know, it was like the Microsoft or the Google before Microsoft or Google. It was the most desirable place to work at. Because when you worked at IBM, it would, you, wouldn't be, you wouldn't lose your job. So basically at IBM, the next slide, they would, they would have this reputation that they would never sack you. Right? Even if they change divisions or they change strategies, you'd always have a job. So for seven decades, right, for seven decades, that's a really long time, it never laid off a single worker. But then times changed, you know, personal computing came into the world, you know, cloud computing came into the world, and then they had to sack people. In fact, they sacked many, many people. And the lesson that we learn from Ecclesiastes is don't put all your eggs in one basket, don't put all your hopes in one venture, but rather give your portions to seven or to eight because you never know what disaster is coming. And the way to live in a risky, uncertain, unknowable world is to spread your risk. Now I think another application that uh, comes to mind as I looked in this passage is that we shouldn't be scared of failure. The fear of failure. You know, it's very unfortunate because, you know, I, I've heard of people or I've you know, met people who really fear failure. If they you know, people, if they fail at something, it's like the end of the world. But in chapter 11, it seems to suggest that failure in this world is a certainty. Right? Some things in life will fail because time and chance and foolishness will impact them. You never know why something would fail. The most sure thing can turn out to be a disastrous uh, investment or a disastrous venture. So I remember uh, reading this book. Uh, I have this really small book, which I think I got f- for free at Borders. You know, like Borders used to be like you buy two books, you get, get one free or something like that, right? Before Borders itself went broke. Um, and I remember buying this book about failure. And it said that the biggest failure in the world was Abraham Lincoln. Right? So uh, I was very surprised because, you know, Abraham Lincoln actually failed a lot in life because, before he became one of the most, I guess, uh, renowned and successful presidents in the history of America. So he failed in business. He lost when he tried to run for state legislature. He lost his job. He went bankrupt. Right? He uh, ran for Congress. He lost. 
I think he ran for Congress again, he lost. Uh, many things happened in his life where he failed, and then until finally he became a very successful president. And he has this very, uh, I guess, profound saying, which is the next slide. It was a bit small. You can read it up in, in, in Wikipedia, right? He says, success is going from failure to failure without losing your enthusiasm. And I think as we look at this passage, it seems to suggest that failure and disaster will come upon a person. Because that's the reality of this world. And therefore, the only way to live in this world is to have different things that you're doing so that you will not be totally destroyed if you fail. Now, I think this is linked to the last part of this section, which is verse 5 and 6, right? Because if you turn me to verse 5 and 6, it says, As you do not know the path of the wind, or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. Sow your seed in the morning, and at, and at evening let your hands not be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. Now the point that this passage is saying is that the only God, the maker, knows, truly knows what is going to happen in this world, because He is the maker. Now you might look at this passage and say, well, you know, we are modern people. We know how the body is formed in a mother's womb, you know, because now you know, you've got ultrasound and everything. We know the path of the wind, because nowadays we've got the satellites, right? But actually, that's not really what it is saying here. If you, I think for your Bibles, you should have a footnote, right? So there's a footnote in mine, in verse 5, which says, So you do not know how life enters the body which is being formed, right? So we might know how the little parts of the, the baby are being formed, but how does life itself enter into the body? Or how does the spirit come into the body and animate life into the baby's body. We don't know these things. Neither do we know, in, in, you know why a, a cyclone comes or why there's a big storm. So because we do not know and we are not God, it says do not rely on one thing. Now in verse 1, it talks about seven or eight things. Here it just talks about two things. It says what you do in the morning right, and what you do in, at night should be different so that because you don't know which one will succeed. Now, it's not saying here that uh, we should be workaholics, right? So, you know, during the day, you work as uh, what you normally do. Then at night, you drive your grab taxi or become a security guard. It's not really saying that. It's just trying to make the point that you are to do two things because you don't know which one will succeed in this life. You don't know how things are going to turn out. Now, there is this very famous book, uh, that I heard of called the Black Swan. Right? Uh, I've never read it before. I've only read the summary in Wikipedia. And uh, but it's called uh, one of the twelve most influential books since the World War, since World War Two, according to the Sunday Times. And the Black Swan is basically an event which happens, which is very uh, has a huge impact in life and on people. And the problem with Black Swan events is that no one can predict it. No one knows that it's going to happen like a stock market crash or, or you know, a big environmental thing that happens right? or a big uh, uh, you know, systematic failure of something like the stock exchange. 
And what the author was saying that is that nobody can predict that these events happen. And after these events happen, we try to say that we could have predicted it, but actually you can't predict it. So in the follow-up to this book called The Black Swan, uh, the same author wrote this book called Anti-Fragile. Right? Because fragile things, he's saying, cannot survive in an unpredictable world. But actually, you don't need to read uh, this uh, black swan, right? Because all you need to know is uh, the book Ecclesiastes, right? Because that's what God is saying. That's what the teacher is saying. He's saying we're living in an unpredictable world with black swan events, with a risky world. How do you survive? How do you become anti-fragile? You become anti-fragile by spreading your wrists, right? Casting your bread to seven or to eight. You, 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 you. Put your energies in different things. Because you don't know what will succeed. You don't know what disaster may come upon the land. Now in verse 3 and verse 4, there is another counsel or another piece of wisdom that the teacher gives in terms of the difficulty of living in a risky and unpredictable world. He says if clouds are full of water, they pour rain on the earth, Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it lies, there it will lie. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. Now, you might be saying here, well, this is very obvious, right? Because, you know, when the clouds are full of water, then it rains, right? When the tree falls to the north or the south, there it will lie. I mean, that's basic, right? That's where it fell down. But I think the teacher is saying something deeper, more profound. Right? He's saying, look, you don't know when or where the cloud is actually going to pour its rain. When are the clouds going to be full of water? Where and when is the tree going to fall down? Um, you know, there's a recent event. Um, uh, the next slide, right? Oh, okay, the slides are ready. Okay, next one. Okay, okay last one. Okay, so you remember in Botanical Gardens, there was this tree that fell down, right? It killed somebody. The tree was 270 years old, and uh, because it was very windy today, it fell down. Now, who would have thought that after being there for 270 years, it would fall down on that day of all days? And it would fall down on that direction, and land on people rather than fall the other way and fall on trees, right? Nobody knows. There is great uncertainty. There is, nobody can predict these things. But what the teacher says in verse 4 is that if you are living in such a world and you are always watching the wind or looking at the clouds, then you will not plant and you will not reap. Because part of living in this world is to recognize that you do not know. Right? That you do not really know. And to recognize the reality of your lack of perfect foreknowledge and your perfect wisdom. The acknowledgement that there is no such thing as a perfect foresight of the future. So I have a friend of mine and um, I think he sold his flat like a decade ago. And he rented a house and he, I don't even know if up to today if he's bought a place to live, right? Because I remember when he sold his 
how's the housing prices are going up. So he said, oh, you know, the prices are going up. It's too expensive to buy. Then now the, the government imposed all these um, cooling measures and the prices came down. Then he said, oh, the price is coming down. I'm not going to buy now because the price is going to come down even more. Right. But the thing is, see, there's no perfect time to actually buy because he doesn't have foreknowledge or, in terms of exactly when the lowest of the market is going to be. He doesn't know exactly what's going to happen. I'm not saying I'm not a real estate agent, by the way. So I'm not telling you when it's a good time to buy property, but I'm just giving an example of my friend. That when you are a person who only waits for the perfect condition, the perfect time to act, then you will never act. Because in the world that we live in, there is risk, chance, and unpredictability. And basically, you just have to take action. You have to take action, you have to take risks, and you have to spread your risk because that's the only way to live in this world. So there's a quote that I came across on the internet which says, right, that unless, you know, there's this thing called analysis by paralysis, right? If you keep looking and researching and finding the perfect condition, you'll never act because there's no such thing as the perfect timing or the perfect condition. Now, we're not talking here about the prosperity gospel. Okay, this is a million miles from the prosperity gospel. God is not saying that if you act in this way, you will succeed. The teacher is just telling you how to live in the real world under the sun, a world where there's risk, chance, foolishness, disaster. Now, as we move along in verse 7, the teacher now goes on to a different topic. He says, Light is sweet, and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all. Let them enjoy them all. But let them remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. Everything is meaningless. Now, I think that uh, we can see the general point of what the teacher is saying, I mean. Obviously, light is sweet and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. Now, for us to live in Singapore, uh, like Simpson was saying, we see the sun every day. Right? Maybe some days slightly less, but generally the sun every day, we, you know, we're pretty happy, right? But if you live in a temperate country, then light and summer and warmth are good things. Because, right? you know, I remember when I lived in Australia and Sydney, Summertime was a good time, you know. Summertime was the time where it was warm. You woke up in the morning, there was sunshine. You could go to the beach, you could wear a t-shirt. You go home after work, there's still sunshine. You can play soccer, you can still go to the beach, right? But wintertime was gloomy. You wake up in the morning, it's dark. You go to work, it's dark. You come back, it's still dark and gloomy, probably still raining, right? You can't go to the beach, it's cold. And I think that what is really being said here is that it's trying to compare the sunny days of summer and the rainy days of winter to life. Now, there are two ways to looking at this, really. There's, you could just be generally talking about the good times of life and the bad times of life. It could be talking about when you're young and when you're old. It could be actually talking about both. It doesn't have to be mutually exclusive. Because, you know, if you look here, in verse 8, it says, uh, however many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all. So it seems like there's an exhortation here that we are to enjoy life, uh, not just when you're young, but when you're older as well, during the sunny, 
light, warm times of life, of which there will be days, but there will be many days of darkness. Now, what is being said here is a very powerful exhortation for us to enjoy the good times of life, so to speak. When the days seem to be sunny, when there doesn't seem to be the dark clouds on the horizon, when good things are happening, right? be joyful. But in verse 9, it seems to come to an idea where it talks about the young person. It talks to the young people. You who are young, be happy while you are young. And let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart. And whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Now, particularly for young people, uh, life seems very sunny. Uh, Next week, when we look at chapter 12, it will talk a lot more about uh, old age. But I think when you're young, life is very sunny. I mean, you wake up, you feel good, you don't have body aches, your eyes work very well, your appetite is very good, you can eat chocolate every day, you don't put on weight, right? So whatever, you know, like, it seems like every day is a sunny day. And it says here to the young person, right, enjoy life. It seems almost like an overkill because it says here, follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see, right? It seems as if it's saying, have a hedonistic lifestyle, But if you notice, the second half of verse 9 is very crucial because there's a big but there, right? But, know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Now, it seems like it's so important because for the young person, because every day is a sunny day, the temptation is to forget God the Maker. It seems as if Even if you acknowledge judgment, judgment seems so far away because when you're young, you feel like you will live forever. And the temptation is to follow your heart and to enjoy what your eyes see. So the temptation is to sleep around, maybe, or to drink irresponsibly, or to live life in a very irresponsible way. So here the teacher says, when you're young, don't forget God. Don't forget your maker. Live responsibly, live faithfully to God, even as you enjoy life. Now, in the American Constitution, uh, I think it says it very clearly, right? It, it puts out one of the inalienable rights of a, a person to pursue happiness. But what the teacher says here is you can pursue happiness but pursue happiness with one eye on God, with one eye on judgment. Because the only way to safely enjoy the sunny days and the good times and life itself is to enjoy it with a clear conscience, to know that you are enjoying it as God intends you to enjoy it. Now for us as Christians, we are even more convinced of this because in Acts chapter 17, the next slide, it actually tells us right, that God wants us to repent and the The reason for the repentance is because the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead shows us that Jesus will judge the world with justice on one day. 
So all the more, the warning is very clear to us, even if you're not young anymore, that enjoyment must come under the idea of God's judgment. The acknowledgement as God as your maker. Now this is a very profound idea. Because in the world that we live in, it seems to give the idea that Christians, uh, people who believe in God and judgment, don't enjoy life. Right? Somehow, they're living a very sad life. So many years ago, there was this uh, musician that I like called Billy Joel. Right? Okay, you all maybe... Okay, I like Billy Joel, but he's retired many years ago already. And he wrote this song called Only the Good Die Young. Only the Good Die Young. So, one of the key phrases in the song is, I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. Which gives you the idea that, you know, living as a sinner, an unconstrained life, free of control and conscience, just following your desires and your passions and your wants, is a lot more fun than living as a Christian, whereas, you know, it's characterized by crying. But actually, when you look at this passage, that's totally wrong. God wants you to enjoy life. You can laugh with the saints. You can have true joy and happiness. But all that God is saying, all the teacher is saying, is you must do it within the context of enjoyment that God has made. Within the context of judgment and God as the creator. Be happy. Enjoy life. That's the exaltation of today. But remember... Judgment, remember God, your maker. And that's why, as Christians, in the next slide, because we know that the day of the Lord will come like the thief, right? And the heavens will disappear for roar, and the elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything will be, will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed is coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. So, as you live this life, be faithful to God, be faithful to Jesus, live a holy and godly life, spotless and blameless, but still enjoying life. This is the way that we are to live. This is what God's wise way of living is. So in verse 10, he says something quite unexpected. He says, so then, right? The so then is very important. Banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body for youth and vigor are meaningless. Verse 10 again refers to the young person. He's saying, look, so then, therefore, cast aside anxiety. Don't worry. Put aside all these troubles that trouble you. Why? Because youth and vigor, like, you know, uh, physical activity, right, is meaningless. Now, he's not saying it's really meaningless. He's using meaningless in the sense of the Hebrew idea of meaningless, the, the word havel, which we looked at at the beginning of Ecclesiastes. He's saying, look, youth and vigor are meaningless because they are like steam. They are like breath. It's short. Right? Because your life as a young person 
is so short. Enjoy it while you can, right? Enjoy it responsibly before God. Enjoy it faithfully before God. But enjoy it. Why worry? Why have anxiety? Why have troubles trouble you? Because you know when you are worried and have anxiety, it's very hard to enjoy life. It's like having a sunny day and when you have anxiety, the storm clouds come over your happiness. So when you're young, play soccer, play basketball, right? Go and go skateboarding, go rollerblading, do whatever, but enjoy your life because youth and vigor are so short. So again, um, you must think I listen to a lot of music, right? Uh, there's a very famous song, right, from the 80s called Forever Young. Actually, all the best songs were written in the 80s, lah. Okay? <laughs> that's, that's why I always choose all the 80s songs, right? And in this song, the lyrics are very profound, right? Actually, it's, it's, it's actually about, uh, uh, different things, but part of the song is about how he, this person wants to stay forever young, right? Why do you want to live forever? You, he wants to be young forever, right? Right. I mean, why do you want to be like a fading horse, right? You want to have adventures, you want to have songs, you want to play, you want to have dreams, you want to live out. And I think this song captures the idea of how fast youth passes, right? It's like youth just is just there and then the next minute it's gone. So for the young person, he's saying, look, banish anxiety from your heart, cast troubles from your body because it is meaningless, it is passing away. So as we look at this passage, actually there's really lots to think about. There's lots to reflect upon. If we live in a world where there's chance and there's risk and there's unpredictability, then what he's saying is, look, failure and disaster are certainty. You've got to take risks, you've got to spread risks, you've got to take action in this life because you never know what's going to fail. But more importantly, live life in a way where you enjoy your sunny days. Enjoy the days of warmth and light because there will be days of darkness. But whatever you do when you enjoy, remember God. Remember judgment. Live faithfully before God. Live in a way which is always holy and godly before Him, where you find your safety in Jesus Christ. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, Help us to see that Ecclesiastes chapter 11 doesn't say that we must cry with the saints, but rather as saints in this world, we are to live enjoying the good things that you've given us. Help us to see that we must enjoy the good things you've given us responsibly, faithful to you and to Jesus. That there is an exhortation to be joyful and to be happy as we enjoy the light and the sun and the good times. Dear Father, help us also to recognize that we live in a world where there is uncertainty, unpredictability, uh, disaster, uh, based on foolishness of others. And uh, that the only way to live wisely in this world is to spread our risks and to take action. And to not fear failure because disaster may come upon us at any time. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.